What is up, Bitcoiners? This is CK, and this is another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. This week, I sit down with the founder of the Amber app and the Bitcoin Times, Alex Svetsky. Alex and I are good friends, and we talked a lot about an article that he wrote for Bitcoin Magazine titled, Because Bitcoin is a Necessity, Its Economy Will Be Circular. It was an absolutely fantastic conversation. And this podcast is one of those podcasts that you can send to a Bitcoin curious person or to someone who is you know, on the right path, but not quite there yet to understand why Bitcoin is the perfect money, why money is such an important piece of society, why MMT just doesn't fundamentally make sense, and how Bitcoin is going to upgrade every aspect of our society. Um, really excellent conversation with Alex. But before we get into the podcast, let's talk about BitcoinBlackFriday.com. Bitcoin Black Friday is a celebration for the Bitcoin circular economy. It is brought to you by the team behind Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin 2021 Conference. And it is a website that is loaded with fantastic deals for Bitcoin. If you need to get a new hardware wallet, if you need to re-up on your VPN subscription, if you need to go and buy a new hammock, you guys, there are endless merchants out there that are accepting Bitcoin and they are offering deals 20, 30, 40, 50% off for your sweet Satoshis. So go check that out. And while you're at it, if you sign up for the much-awaited Fold Sats back debit card on BitcoinBlackFriday.com, you will be entered into a contest to win one full Bitcoin. You can really win one entire Bitcoin by just signing up for the much-awaited Fold Sats back debit card. It's really a no-brainer and gosh, one entire Bitcoin, what a prize. Right now that's $15,000, but by the time we actually give it away, it might be more than $20,000. So I don't know what you're waiting for. Go to BitcoinBlackFriday.com, check out the deals, sign up for the Fold card, and let's get into this interview with Alex Svetsky. Welcome, Alex, to Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. It's been a long time since we've spoke. How's it going, my friend? Good, man. CK, yeah, it's been a very long time. I think the last time we were up on your rooftop getting some sun, and now I'm in a in a bunker in in Europe getting some darkness. <laughs> it's so it's surreal, man. How, how the world has changed since, uh, it, what was it? It was fall 2019. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you spent like a week in San Francisco and we got a lot of we got a lot of time to hang out. That was a really fun week. It was, man. It was one year and the world <laughs> it looks like it's changed by 10 years. So yeah, yeah seriously. Wow. Well, I mean, they wow. say that, right? Like nothing happens for decades and then in, you know, in a year decades happen or whatever. I don't know the exact line, but that's that sure is how it feels. I, I know which one you're talking about. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'd be paraphrasing the line too, but it's, yeah, for, for, for everyone that says, oh yeah, things, things don't change that fast. It's like 2020 is just one of those years where you can see how slippery slopes can get. Yeah, they get slipped on. So, um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. speaking of slippery slopes, we were just talking about this before, but both you and I kind of see Bitcoin as this thing that is not only like a perfect money but or in perfect technology for its use case, but is something that has reached critical mass where it's at this point, me and you both believe it's quote unquote, kind of inevitable. 
And you wrote a fantastic piece for Bitcoin Magazine, which will be linked in the show notes, kind of talking about how because Bitcoin is necessary, its economy will become circular and we will see you know, a Bitcoin to services, a Bitcoin denominated future. I guess, you know, let's kind of just talk about that. Start off by describing, you know, what makes good money and why Bitcoin kind of embodies this this perfect money. Do you want to just jump right into that? Yeah, man. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, I started to become better known in the in the Bitcoin circles from like the, the writing that I did in the early days. And I think, you know, one of those earlier articles, I, I think one of my favorites that's always been is the one, one where I go into why Bitcoin matters. And, you know, I, I kind of go in there and kind of look at Bitcoin's attributes and and how those attributes embody, you know, the, the functions of money or, or how they sort of en- enable Bitcoin to embody the functions of money. And those you know, three primary functions, which a lot of people get stuck up on, oh, you know, store of value is more important than medium of exchange. Oh, no, medium exchange is more important than the others. It's like m- money, money can't, you know, exist or persist unless it's all of, you know, the medium of exchange store of value and unit of account, you know, in, in our attempt to, you know, define this tool humanities necessarily had to invent in order to cooperate. So it's not like, you know, money is some thing that, you know, we just created so that the, you know, powerful among us can lord over those that are, you know, less powerful. That, that's not what money is. You know, money is not a tool of oppression, but money is a necessary tool for cooperation. And, you know, it's got those three functions that a and ideal money, you know, embodies in their maximum capacity. And and Bitcoin just does that better than anything else on the planet. You know, th- there is no better store of value than a fixed supply of money. You know, there is no better medium of exchange than something that can be transmitted globally, instantly, 24-7, you know, by whomever, whenever. Like it's, you know, so there's nothing better than that. There's no better unit of account than something that can be verified by anyone at any point in time. Like, you know, unlike you know, Ethereum or, you know, fiat, which nobody knows what it is. So it's like, it is orders of magnitude superior than anything else that exists on the planet in every dimension that money is, uh, every dimension that's important to money. So, you know, when people tell me like, oh, you know, what if someone builds something better? It's like, well, the best is here. So I'm sorry, you can't beat it. So yeah, man, that that's sort of, I think what I tried to you know, describe in that original opening statement in the in the article. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know that you have hashed out why Bitcoin is kind of a zero to one innovation and why everything else is really kind of like tech techno babble. It's not a real upgrade or fundamental upgrade to what, you know, Satoshi brought us with Bitcoin. I don't want to get too hung up on that. What I do mm-hmm. want to talk about is after kind of talking about why Bitcoin is the perfect money in your article, you talk about why money is the most important invention in mankind. I would say that normal people, people that haven't really gone down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, they don't agree with that. They understand that money makes the world go round, but they don't understand the nuances behind money's property or what we use as money and how that actually affects mankind and why money is so important for us as a society to function. Can you kind of talk about you know, your understanding of money and why it's such an important tool. Yeah, for sure, man. So I guess no, no one is, no, no one's a taught, you know, what money is. People are sort of taught to, you know, work for money all their lives. Even it's sort of even in the language of how 
you know, we're taught to how our relationship to money is taught to us from a young age. You know, you go and work for money, you know, like it's some sort of deity, you know, and in many cases, some evil deity. And even when you look at, you know, these superstitions, you know, like money doesn't grow on trees or this and that. So, so there's all these weird belief systems that float around around money because I, I guess there may be, you know, some conspiratorial advantage by, you know, some the old guard to you know have the you know the rest of us be stupid towards money but i think you know it's it's almost become like a taboo subject you know you, you know you almost you get viewed as some you know almost capitalist pig you know when you start sort of discussing money and and particularly money as a virtue and you know i've i've tried over the last few years to really like through all my writing and everything to to try and redefine like money as this as effectively like an extension of ourselves. Like, you know, there's, there's a f- saying that I love from Tony Robbins, which is the, the two most sacred things you have to give are your love and your labor. And, you know, realistically, you know, the reason those are so precious is that, you know, I mean, I'm not going to get into the discussion of why love is precious, but labor is precious because it's, a, it's, it's your time and your energy. It's like the two things you have that, you know, are your life force you can't get back. You, you you know, once you've used them, it's done. And that kind of, you know, that that scarcity, that 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 absolute inability to to get it back is is, is extraordinarily valuable to, to us on a on a you know subjective and even on a um objective basis. So if we then look at how do we, you know, as human beings who all have, you know, subjective variance in the way we value anything like you know you might value you know water more than i do you know i might value chocolate more than you do i don't know i might value you know this woman more like so, so we're all we're all fundamentally different and the only way that it is physically possible for different human beings to value things things and stuff and time and energy differently is through some sort of measuring tool and that measuring tool that you know language of communication that fabric between us is money that you know that there is there is no other way and and whatever the the only thing that changes is the vehicle that money is so you know and i talk about this in one of my prior articles you know why bitcoin matters is i say look you know money just started off as these promises you know people being like all right you, you do that i'll do this you do that and we kind of keep a mental tally of what it is. Then we started writing it on, you know, cave walls. And then we found, you know, maybe some objects that, you know, could represent these things, you know, whether we started off with twigs, nobody knows, but, you know, we sort of went to salt and foods and commodity money to other things like metals, et cetera. And sort of the, the object we use to represent money, you know, only changed, but, but money itself has to exist because we cannot escape the fact that we're all different that we all value things differently and that that's never going to change. That That's part of the, the beauty and the diversity of life. So, so money is not some evil deity or some weird thing. It's just, it's, it's almost like the, the fabric that binds us. It's, it, you know, it connects us all. And as it stands, that, that fabric has just been corrupted so many times and I think it's never been as corrupt as it is in the fiat system. Because if we look at Stephanie Kelton economics, <laughs> It's all just points, you know, two plus two equals 437. <laughs> like nothing makes sense anymore. So I think Bitcoin's, you know, brings us back to the reality of, you know, what that fabric between us is. So it's, it's a special thing. 
So when you kind of refer to this fabric, I think that's just a very poetic way of talking about this idea of social scalability. So you mm-hmm. started off by kind of discussing, you know, we may have started off trading promises and then twigs, but ultimately what we've done is we've moved from a world where we have to trust the exchange of value with someone that we have trust in to we have tools that represent value that enable us to trade value with people that we don't trust. And it's gone as far as saying like Bitcoin is for enemies. Bitcoin is this ultimate digital trustless fabric that connects us all. And it's going to enable our society to scale beyond what it's doing right now. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I'll, I'll add a historical reference there is, you know, in, in the in the ancient times, you know, you have two kingdoms, you know, or, you know, whatever it might be, Genghis Khan, you know, going after the, or Attila the Hun going after the Romans or whatever the case might've been, whilst they didn't like each other, they didn't speak the same language. They didn't, you know, they didn't share, you know, many common values or language or any of that sort of stuff. The one language they shared though was gold because, <laughs> you know, like it's money's the, the, the one uniting language. And that's why I like call it this, you know, poetic version of a fabric, right? Is that it, it, it doesn't, matter who or what you are it's like you know it's and like you said it's 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 money is a way for whether it's adversaries or enemies or friends or family or anyone to be able to interact via a shared language because 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 we all subjectively value things differently and and that that's just such a important piece for any functional collaboration or interaction and 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 you cannot get social scale without that like it, it's impossible and, and and that's why neither division of labor nor any social complexity or abstraction can occur without a powerful form of money and the more powerful it is the better and the more stable those abstractions and that complexity can be and, and that's again something i think many fail to realize so i mean i guess what does Bitcoin represent in, in that transformation, right? We kind of like danced around this subject, but, you know, in moving from gold to digital fiat to now digital gold Bitcoin, you know, what does that represent in our ability as humanity to advance? Well, I mean, it's, first of all, it's like a movement back to reality. So I think, again, in, in not understanding money, broadly speaking, you know, whether it's, you know, bankers don't understand money, central bankers definitely don't understand money, you know, these new age economists, like your Keltons and your Krugmans don't understand, like, no one understands money. So they, they go and they build these, you know, models and mental models and theories and philosophies that are all based on a baseless foundation. And, you know, we, we create this kind of, we, we, we've been spending all this time hollowing out the actual society that we live in and making it more and more fragile. Like, you know, if, if money is supposed to enable adversaries to, to, to trade, you know, th- th- there's no, like, for example, KYC is like one of the, the things that drives me crazy is like money is a mechanism for two parties who don't know each other to trade or to communicate. And here we are instituting KYC so that you know we can slow down and add ridiculous amounts of friction to our ability to trade which is again madness it's so 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 bitcoin kind of for me like transcends all the stupidity that has become this modern economic or modern monetary sort of 
system that we live in where again it's it's not tied to anything real it's not grounded in any absolutes you know it's it's relative dependent on you know which central banker wakes up on what side of the bed like there's there's no there's no actual goalpost there's no playing field that we're all playing on it's just this complete madness and chaos of people making up rules that apply to some but not to others and we wonder why we have all this misallocation of capital we wonder why we've seen the emergence of these you know monopolies that no longer are adding value to society but that are sucking value from society because they're close to the monetary spigot you know so that you know get to benefit from these exorbitant cantillon effects you know we're seeing this concentration of power and resources amongst a few like so all these weird perverse things are occurring and we're also seeing just like exacerbations of natural power laws like you know I was talking to Pete McCormack yesterday on a pod and you know he was trying to argue that you know Google wouldn't normally be a monopoly without the state and I was like well yeah it it may because the product it developed was so good but it's now a mega 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 monopoly because it's benefited from trillions of dollars being printed and the 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 cash that would have naturally converged to it has now multiplied by orders of magnitude so now anything new that gets innovated gets bought up or acquired before it can compete with google so so we've we've actually exacerbated monopolies we've exacerbated these you know call them oligopolies we've removed financial markets from you know main street and the reality of you know day-to-day markets we've we've robbed our own capital from not only today but from our future generations so we've done all this crap and damage all because we're playing a a relativist game which nobody actually knows the rules for that everybody keeps changing the rules for so i think with bitcoin a the first step is to actually come back to a standard and then from that standard we can then you know use the the forcing function of natural capitalism to drive us towards real innovation that adds real value and when it doesn't it'll naturally fall in on itself and you know let the bad fail and let the good prosper it's like we come back to normality and reality and that's that's again why i think it's such a profound you know invention in in the grand scheme of things yeah and i mean something that you kind of touch on is how mega corporations the winners become entrenched in even larger winners because the government exists i kind of want to touch on like really what bitcoin represents is I guess just to take a step back, fiat money and, and, and who gets money is really choosing winners and losers. And what Bitcoin represents is it represents a system where winners and losers are only chosen by merit rather than by any sort of other outside choices. And when you look at the opposite, as Stephanie Kelton and MMT, the way that the government is or the financial system is working right now, it's it's the opposite of merit. It's really about you know, central planning, how do we make the economy work the way we think is right? Which knobs do we turn to make the world work, you know, kind of bend to our will? So it's really a stark kind of difference between uh, what Bitcoin represents and the other option. Man, there's such a tone deaf, like you, you, you touch on it spot on, like, and I, I literally published another article two days ago called Resistance is Not Futile, where I kind of explore the differences between natural authority being an emergent phenomenon that comes from competence versus fiat authority being something that is top down and you know made by decree if anyone's got a chance to read that i really recommend that's sort of i I personally think it's one of my better pieces 
like the 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 tone deaf arrogance and ignorance by central planners and the you know the quote unquote intelligentsia and academics of the world who have had no real world exper- experience you know they've they've got these resumes glittered by you know which university they've been to and which you know government institutions they've worked for so so they they haven't really had any you know interaction with the real world and they they sit there they purport to assume that they know the the ultimate recipe for how we should all behave but we don't it, it's it's like a it's a it's a communist dream basically like and and for me that like all that's going to do is just lead to disaster not only for the idiots that think they know what they're doing but unfortunately for the rest of us because you know we're we're so you know in, interlinked at the moment so you know i i think bitcoin brings us back to a world where you know natural authority can reemerge based on these hierarchies of competence and and it's the reemergence of merit where capital effort time energy is naturally allocated towards that which makes sense and that which works as opposed to being dictated by some authoritarian intelligentsia who believes they know who should be endowed with you know the right to do xyz whilst the rest of us beggars and paupers have to sit there and you know line up in bread lines it's it's such a it's it's the most powerful tool aside from you know the the idiots like who are going to bring the whole thing down on top of themselves like it's the most powerful tool to sort of help maybe accelerate that and protect us with half a brain from those idiots so well speaking of the central planners one that is really rising to prominence and you mentioned her before is Stephanie Kelton and you know the whole posse of MMT economists and scholars do you want to kind of touch on MMT a little bit and for someone who may not be familiar with it you can kind of touch on some of the fallacies that back this idea that Stephanie and and other economists have been really pushing in the mainstream yeah, I mean, I, I personally haven't bothered to read too much on MMT, but like from what I understand, it's and from some of the tweets I've seen. I mean, I ne- I ne- I'd never even heard about Stephanie Kelton until I saw Stoney's memes about her in the last couple of weeks and saw some of the stupid statements that were going around. I'm like, really? Like, is that how can somebody say these kinds of things? So, so from the limited, well, let me let me jump in real quick then, and okay. let me let me kind of touch on, on on what Stephanie and other MMTers are saying. So really what MMT is, is it's actually kind of interesting because they identify a lot of the things that Bitcoiners identify as wrong with the current system. It's just their Mm -hmm. solutions are not to disintermediate decision-making, not to create a fair open source system. Their, Their solution is we need more experts with more data and more control who don't need to and here's the key, what makes it MMT, is we do not need to offset our fiscal spending with debt. We, as the United States government and as an organization that runs the global reserve currency, we have the ability to mint as we see necessary and to tax that minting away in order to maintain a effective and properly function functioning economy and we don't need to issue debt every time we print that's the key that makes mmt a little bit different than the current system that we are operating on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so okay so i mean again from from the little that i know and from what you've just said then like my first question is like 
what gives like who who are we who are we robbing and who's going to have to pay for the for the bill at some stage because you know debt isn't just numbers on a page and this comes back to you know how one defines money you know if if money or if wealth or if capital is some derivative of time energy and natural resources debt is sits on the other side of the balance sheet on that so what gives like who who or what is going to pay for these so-called imaginary deficits and when and to me it just literally sounds like kicking the can down the road and at the end of the road is a cliff and we're going to keep kicking the can until it falls off the cliff and all the lemmings that are following it are going to go down with it so it's like i mean i i just find it preposterous to to think that not not only can a group of people that are so out of touch with reality just decide that they and the academics i mean th- th- this almost literally to me just sounds like communism once again like the, the communists that what they've said since day one is that if only we had enough smart people we would have solved all the pro- all the problems because you sir are not smart enough to solve your own problems we know better and i mean no matter how many times it's been tried it fails every single time so this is almost like they're wearing a new you know a new gown like you know the emperor's got some new clothes again and going off and spouting it under a different under a different acronym and it takes a special kind of arrogant or ignorant academic to believe that they know better for somebody else number 1 and b it takes complete ignorance to reality to define something so real as money and debt as you know an imaginary arbitrary relative concept that we can just arbitrarily create at will i just find that wild so i don't i don't know if i've you know answered the question or kind of you know poked holes in the theory you know well enough there for people but i mean happy to dig into this a little bit further but i just it spins me out like how far removed from reality it is no absolutely and i mean i think w- w- what you're you're really teasing on is that you know to think that a small group of people can have more information than a large group of people that are kind of operating under their own incentives it, it it's nothing but just pure hubris right and we know that the market works better and it seems as though we're starting to enter into a time in history where the majority of people living from the benefits of market based decision making have forgotten that and they're they, yeah. they feel the things that are wrong with society they feel these mega corporations that are taking advantage of the governments and and then they instead of you know identifying that hey centralization and top down decision making are the issues corrupt money is the issue they say oh they 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 stopped a level too too early and they say oh capitalism is the issue capitalism allows mm-hmm. you know these corporations to bully us around and we need to eliminate that with more government and i i think that what stephanie and the mmtiers are also saying kind of fits within that yeah can you yeah. talk a little bit about like why decentralized decision making why market based decision making is so much more superior and i feel like we're beating a dead horse but i do think that every angle of this is important to address yeah yeah for sure i, I mean it it's it never um ceases to amaze me how poorly defined concepts get you know that extrapolated upon so like uh, you know Jordan Peterson in one of his clips ages ago that I watched said something clearly is like you have to define 
what you're discussing properly and you have to understand it before you discuss it and debate it. And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, obviously, but when, when someone goes out to attack capitalism without having any concept of what it is, and then they build an entire theory off it, you know, and this is, this is exactly the poison of academics is, you know, that they, they don't root it in, you know, any real definition of what something is. So, so then, the, and, and then, the, then they'll use the defense of, oh, well, that's just semantics. That's not the capitalism that I'm talking about. You know, like I was, I was speaking with someone the other day saying they're like, oh, you know, capitalism is, you know, it's all about greed. It's all about more, more, more. And I'm like, well, no, I said, capitalism is about the efficient, the most efficient use of resources. So I said, you know, if you want to do good for the environment, if you want to do good for people, if you want to get the most you can out of everything you've got, capitalism is the way. So, so when you, when you define it accurately, then you can have a logical debate and you can think about how to potentially solve problems, you know, you know, and, and when you start from the realities, like I spoke with McCormack about this yesterday as well, it's that, you know, we, we have like these few realities in the world, which is we, we live in a physical world. So all physical resources are scarce. We live in a, you know, we, we live in one of the dimensions that we live in is time and time is also scarce. And because we live in these, you know, scarce dimension, 3D, you know, we live in these dimensions of scarce physical resources and scarce time, the, the future is also uncertain. So, so we've got... We've got these three realities that we need to, to live within and so, so, you know, scarce time, scarce resources and an uncertain future. And then when you, when you layer that with the fact that we all subjectively are different and we value, we understand, we interpret things differently, you have this you know, complete chaos of life. And, and the only way we can somehow interact is by having a common sort of fabric that's rooted in some form of reality. And that's, again, you know, where the importance of money comes. But c- coming back, I've gone off on a tangent. What, what was the original question, dude? Help me out. <laughs> no, no, you, you're, you're nailing it. You're nailing why a market-based decision-making system is superior ah, to yeah. a centralized-based decision-making system. And why when normal people, you know, look at the current situation and then they stop at, oh, capitalism is the problem and they don't take the next step to seeing that, no, large corporations are taking advantage of loopholes and opportunities within government that government presents is, is actually what is creating this feeling of unfairness. Spot on. So, yes. Yeah, so, so we've got this problem of definitions in the first place, which no one bothers to define anything. And then we have the, the problem with not realizing those, those facts of you know, scarcity and uncertainty as the, the, the constants of the world that we live in. So you know, the only way for that to be effectively answered is by that which is closest to you know the problem or the event which is you know individuals acting in their own self-interest and then sort of relaying that information through a you know this decentralized fabric of communication which is you know call it money is the only way for things to function and and you know the the as all natural systems do they they reach equilibrium you know that there's not one random animal in all of nature that tells you know what tells all the other animals what to do or some tree that tells what all you know other trees what to do like everything finds this natural equilibrium and you know we seem to be the only you know people at least a a subset of us you know particularly the academics and the intelligentsia that seem to think they're somehow they're superior to billions of years of evolution and that if only you know there was enough of them in a room they could somehow answer all the problems like you know 
like you said, it's hubris, it's arrogance, it's ignorance. And it's like, I've, I've got this new angle or this new sort of topic that I'm really trying to dig into is this, this notion of, you know, the intelligentsia's utopia is actually the path to, to dystopia. And it's always been the case is like when, when somebody thinks that they can, that, that when someone's arrogant or ignorant enough to think that they can sort of endow upon us all, you know, their version of a utopia, it always ends in tears. Like, you know, I, I would argue that North Korea is our best example of a utopia. They have no internal violence. There's no dissent, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's peaceful, but you know, they, they, they managed to sanitize and sterilize the life out of an entire nation. And if that's what, you know, these people want, you know, I'm not sure that's a, that's a sort of a world that I want to be a part of. So, you know, we either, we, we really have to make a choice as, you know, human beings is do we want freedom and the messiness that sort of comes with it, you know, and, and the life and the energy that comes with, you know, being free individuals and, you know, the, the discovery and the learning and the growth that comes with that, or do we want a system that is, you know, sterile, grey, top-down, you know, dictated by a group of, you know, you know, privileged, you know, intelligentsia or academics that, you know, apparently know better, where, you know, all the life has been sucked out of it and all the uncertainty and all the, you know, the opportunities for growth are sucked out and we're all just another number. Like, it's, it, there is no, there's no actual middle ground. It's like we're, we're either on a path to one direction or on the path to the other. And, you know, I, I feel like Bitcoin sort of represents, you know, the, the like a, a gravity swell to sort of move towards decentralization and freedom. Whereas the, what I would argue is that, you know, the, the nation state that has actually spawned what I think is going to be the, you know, the next big challenge is the, the, the technocratic state is a vision of these dystopian utopias which you know sounds like a misnomer, but it's true. Yeah, that are that are emerging thanks to this arrogance. No, absolutely, and I mean, you you could even argue that the state of the current financial system is really a technologically enabled dystopian state, and we know that China, we know that Europe, and we know that our own government is trying to further that. Or when I say our own, I mean the United States are trying to further that and bring it all in house really with these central bank digital currencies and kind of silly ideas when you actually dig into them. I want to bring this back to like the, the circular economy and why Bitcoin as a perfect money will inevitably have a circular economy. In your article, you talk about how the payments and financial privacy infrastructure and system will never get better within the existing paradigm and that it actually takes crushing that paradigm in order to advance to a new, to even more seamless payments, to having even more financial privacy online. It, it, when you when I read that, I kind of thought of this idea of local peaks and valleys and how sometimes you have to descend into the valley to get to a higher peak and yes. how, how that has really echoed throughout history. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like, Again, moving into the future and how not only is Bitcoin going to be a fundamental upgrade on on money, but all these other structures that are built on top of it will be better. Yeah. So, I mean, as it stands right now, like I was in Macedonia a little while ago, and that's sort of where my parents were born. And you cannot, basically, you can't accept money from outside of the country, it's, or it's very, 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 very difficult. And it's next to impossible to send money out of the country and that's like you know talk about a an encroachment on your private property rights like you know if, if if you are your first bit of private property and your time and energy is you know you know an extension of that and as you know and as an extension of that your money is you are being told by a 
pack of bureaucrats what you can and cannot do with you, with yourself, with your with your money. And I, I just, I got, I remember being in the bank then, I was so angry. I was like, what is wrong with you people? And you wonder why this country is so backwards and you don't have any talent here, you don't have any life here. Everyone's run out of the bloody place. And and that's, that's the trend that the rest of the world is sort of slowly by slowly moving towards is, you know, this suffocation of people's ability to to interact, to communicate, to collaborate and to trade. And, and, and it's being suffocated in the name of safety, in the name of what's apparently better for all of us. Again, coming from the hubris and arrogance and ignorance of, of these academics that Go, fall into positions of central banking and government is you know they believe they know better they've they 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 convinced themselves that it's for the good of all of us apparently and they've convinced themselves that these you know regulations that they're putting in are apparently stopping terrorists and in doing so in in in, in optimizing the system for that they they kneecap everybody else and they proceed to suffocate the life out of out of an economy and an economy is just merely a living breathing expression of all the human beings in it so they're literally sucking the life out of that so you know when when people told me about you know uh you know uh, will bitcoin ever have a circular economy i say absolutely it will because as as that necessity sort of comes in for you to want to actually trade with somebody and you can't you're going to find a way and as they sort of start to you know kill cash your 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 options become more and more and more limited, and Bitcoin's going to be one thing that they ain't going to be able to stop because they 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 just can't. It's too late. That cat's out of the bag. So, you know, whilst the transition you know may not be clean, you know, like you said, we're going to sort of go into a into a valley, like into a trough, in order to sort of emerge from there. Is that you know the Bitcoin payments might seem a little bit clunky in the beginning. It might seem like you know we've got like. I, I think I wrote in the article about how zero to one transformations in the beginning don't even seem like that. They, they seem sort of foreign. They're like, what the hell is this thing? Like, you know, what the private key, public key, like a wallet, what, what is like, it's, it's going to seem foreign, but because Bitcoin sort of reinvents the entire way payments work and, and does away with a lot of the, the, the band-aids and pipes that are, that are sort of holding the legacy financial system together as that thing gets more and more suffocated, people by necessity are going to come to this thing and realize that, oh shit, you know, I, I can just send money anywhere. Uh, you know, oh, you know, if I'm using lightning, it's instant. Oh, you know, I, I've got a big amount of money to send. I want to make sure it gets there. Like it, you know, it, it, it really just like p- people are going to be by necessity have to find it. And, and as we do that, as more and more economic mass comes on, again, through the force of necessity, entrepreneurs and smart people and, you know, enterprising individuals are going to find ways to leverage this, you know, global open central bank, call it, you know, Bitcoin to build better, smarter financial services and products on top of it. Like, And, and they're not going to have to go through the rigmarole that is required in the existing financial system like you know I, and, and i know this firsthand being you know the founder of a, of a bitcoin accumulation app amber it's like for me to the, the amount of garbage that i've had to go through this year to deal with regulators and all sorts of crap begging for permission just to have a bank account as a business here in this continent and still after eight months not being able to achieve it is like versus if i wanted to build something on bitcoin like i just do it like that you, you cannot tell me 
Bitcoin can't beat out and will not become circular when you compare it against the existing legacy financial system. And the fact that the legacy system is only getting worse now, only going to continue to get strangled. You know, permissions are only going to tighten. I mean, you got to be you got to be practically mentally retarded to think that there's a chance that that the legacy financial system stands a chance. It just, it just doesn't. So I hope that hits on the point. But it's like. It's in, this is why it's an inevitability that they just keep suffocating it and people are going to jump ship at some point. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I actually just tweeted while I was listening to you talking that governments are the greatest driver of Bitcoin adoption. You bring it on spot on. Like we are seeing countries in 2020 or sorry, 20. Yeah. In 2020, Iran, Venezuela openly talking about and using and integrating Bitcoin. And you know why? It's because they've been isolated from the existing financial system. But Bitcoin's mm-hmm. permissionless. Like you said, you don't have to ask permission. You just need to follow the rules of Bitcoin and you're good to go. So as more and more people, governments, institutions are isolated, they're going to turn to the, the option that doesn't force them to ask for permission, that just allows them to, to, to play. Yeah, and and the like I did in my like I discussed in my Bitcoin and lockdowns article. This is not a question of if; it's a question of when. And and it really is, you know, do do you do you do it early because you've got some sort of you know curiosity, or do you do it you know at the point where you know the the night the blade is at your throat and you have to do it. That's the only thing in question here. It's it's not, it's it's like it's literally a choice between want to versus have to, and those who want to, those who choose to earlier on, they're going to get the benefit from just being ahead of the curve. And, that, and that's, you know, where the, that the, therein lies the investment case for Bitcoin, you know, if we want to sprinkle that in. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's plenty of content out there that goes into very thoroughly why buy Bitcoin, much of it from Alex Fedsky here. Alex, why don't you plug yourself, plug Amber and, and what you're doing to the Bitcoin audience? Thanks, man. So yeah, I think... I'm most active on Twitter. Um, recently started getting a little more active on Medium now. I've got a bunch of articles that I've got coming up. Like I've got, I'm, I'm doing a series called, you know, in, inspired by uh, Rothbard's, you know, what has the government done to our money? I'm doing one called, what has the government done to our environment? What has the government done to our families? What has the government done to our education? So I'm doing those. I've got a big announcement coming up soon for Bitcoin Times Edition 3. And this one is going to have, in fact, May as well announce who's going to be writing in it now. It's going to be myself, Jeff Booth, Eric Casson, Jimmy Song, Giacomo Zucca, and Parker Lewis. It's going wow. to be a you know a really Studs. good little lineup, man. Yeah, dude, it's such a good lineup. And I've been reviewing some of the articles recently, and they're so good. So the, the theme of the 2020 edition of Bitcoin Times, edition three, is going to be Bitcoin as sort of this Promethean invention. And it, I don't know, it brings chills down my spine when I think about it. So it's such a... It's going to be a really good set of pieces. And then, yeah, obviously, Amber. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I can't wait till that's out. So then, and the, and the final thing is just, you know, Amber. So we've, we're, we're available in Australia. It's the, the original dollar cost averaging app. And I have a surprise announcement, which I'll make in the next month about the new jurisdiction. So it's not going to be Europe, unfortunately, but it's going to be another major jurisdiction that we're going to be launching in. And we've got that lined up now. I'm really pumped for that. And congratulations. Yeah, it, it's, Thank you, thank you. It's been a it's been a crazy it's been a crazy year, but yeah, we, we've all I think we've all done a lot, particularly in the Bitcoin space. And here we are now, watching it, you know, <laughs> climb back to twenty k. So it's yeah, uh, comforting. 
Yeah, as we speak, it's fifteen thousand five hundred dollars USD, and yeah, it's just it's amazing. I think the first time we met was at Baltic Honey Badger, where you handed me an original copy of the Bitcoin Times that yeah. was in like September of 2019. And I mean, it's been awesome watching you hustle and grow and, and build your kind of repertoire of thought leadership in the space. So I'm excited to hear about the Amber announcement. I'm excited to read version three of, of the, the Bitcoin Times. And yeah, thanks again for coming on. And thank you for contributing to Bitcoin Magazine. For sure, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.